We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming to you Monday morning, it's April 17th after the Wolves' 29-point loss against Denver. Yikes. Uh, joined in Denver by Wolves beat writer Chris Hine from the Star Tribune to discuss how this one went wrong for the Wolves. Uh, Chris, when the Wolves lose a game like that, I mean, there's no better or, or worse side of the ball to, to start on. It was... It was all it was all bad in this one. We'll talk about both offense and defense, but I think if we just look at the the box score, eighty points scored in a playoff game, we should probably start on that side of the floor. What was not working for the Wolves offensively in Game One, Chris? Uh, everything is that <laughs> is that an, is that an option? All of the above D. Um, yeah, it was it was ugly, man. It was just the the. The two big, I thought, the two big rotation just was not working on any on any level. I thought last night mm-hmm. it looked slow. It they looked like they were trying to force the ball to Carl at times. They were just trying to force up shots. Everything was just forced. Yeah, and the shot selection was was poor as they harped on a bit last night. Everything was just out of sync. Um. Mike Conley was talking about how you know they just didn't make some of the more simple plays. They didn't take open shots when they were there, passed them up to try to get even better shots, which is sometimes a problem that creeps up on this team. True. Um, Ant, you know, didn't really look like himself again. Six for fifteen. So uh, I say, I say, all of it, all of it was just bad. It was really bad. Yeah, I mean, I think the Great analysis by me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's it's accurate, right? And I mean, it was yeah. uh, as inefficient of an offensive game as the Wolves have played uh, the entire season, uh, just in terms of you know offensive rating, right? Like if you if you score one point per time you have the ball, one point per possession, you have an offensive rating of one hundred. Um, and that even that is is terrible, right? The Wolves were twenty third in offense in the league this season, not good and their offensive rating was 114 that's 1.14 points per time you have the ball they only had one game over the course of the 82 game regular season where their offensive rating was under 90 i looked it up it was 
you know, which is again, that's 90 points per 100 possessions. It was a loss to the Clippers in December, a game that Cat didn't play in, of course. And Austin Rivers started at point guard because D'Angelo Russell and Jordan McLaughlin were both out. And the Wolves had the same offensive rating in that loss to the Clippers as they did last night against Denver. I mean, it was, I, I really, you know, look at this game through three quarters and, and where we were after after three quarters in the game had obviously become academic at that point, kind of spiraled out of control. It was 87 to 58. The Wolves at that time were 16 of 38 from two, seven of 24 from three, and a what the hell, five of 12 from the free throw line. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was just, uh, it was it was as bad as this team has has looked uh, offensively all season. I kind of got a you 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 alluded to to Mike Conley, and this is kind of a this is kind of a long clip, but I thought of all the quotes we got post game, this was the realest one, in that it actually acknowledged what went into the offense, as you mentioned, with the double bigs being as problematic as it was. Um, and also, as Mike does, you know, hinted at the possibility that it can change going forward, which obviously has to be the mentality. So roll with me for a second here, Chris, while we play this clip from Mike Conley. Mike, this is as ineffective as the offense has been since you or a game since you've been here. What was missing offensively specifically? Uh, honestly, it was it was the easy reads. Like it was, you know, the guys open in the pocket, hit them, let them make the next play. Um, things that we had done, I think, a little bit in the last few games leading up to this. Uh, I think once the lead started to start to lose it, I mean, lose the you know, lead a little bit, and then started to get five, ten points. We started to try to do it ourselves. Um, it became like one pass shots so or no pass shots, so or just driving in the traffic. Like we gotta, you know, trust each other. Like I say that a lot. They trust each other is important. Because there are ways to be effective against their defense, and you just got to find those pockets and swing it weak side and, and let other guys, you know, just make those plays. Pick and roll is the is the thing, right? I mean, that that was what you were getting in the first quarter. Is that is it as simple as the volume of pick and roll just needs to increase? Uh, yeah, it could be that, you know, just uh, and just being efficient in it. Like when we run it, run it with intent to to make a play. You know, it might not be to the score. Might not be to you know shoot the three right away. Like it might be to take a couple dribbles and be patient and hit the guy in the pocket or hit the swing to the corner and then let that guy make a play. Because um, granted, we didn't you know even the shots we did get from actions we didn't really you know nobody really knocked down many you know open looks. But um, if we generate enough of those, we generate enough opportunities. I think it just gives guys confidence. Why has rhythm and movement offensively been so difficult to sustain? Like we see it when it's really good, but it just seems like. Consistently doing a game-to-game has been such a challenge. What do you think that is? Uh, you know, every game is, is, is a different thing. You know, I think sometimes it's trying to get uh, with our two bigs, trying to get spacing correct, trying to get Cat or one of our bigs to be in the post, one to be at, you know, up top, and sometimes both go down at the same time. And, um, that can kind of jumble up the spacing, and, you know, when opportunities are there for us to do a swing, swing to the corner, we might not have that guy there because, you know, Cat's thinking post up at that time or when he's thinking roll or um, the guy with the ball is thinking ISO, whatever it is. Like, we just got to be more connected um, on that part and, and understand that, you know, we got to use that, the spacing to create you know, easier opportunities for us because when the spacing's bad, uh, we're slow, you know, the ball sticks. And, uh, we have games like we have tonight. 
that last line is it, right, Chris? You know, yep. when, when the spacing is bad, it sticks. And it, sticks. it happens. Yeah. And and the right it was in the it was in the first quarter. I think it was once Rudy went out of the game and and it was like the one time in the game where the offense really clicked. It was one big on the floor there. I think it was actually Mike got in there for a floater a possession or two later, kind of run a pick and roll with Kat. Kyle got in there for a floater. Um, it It's one of these things where we can talk about the double big thing. I mean, there's a bigger conversation to be had here about the double big thing and if this can work, but it's also a playoff series. And sometimes in a playoff series, certain things just need to be bagged for, for that series. And it's tough when it's, you know, one or two of your most expensive players, the players you traded a treasure chest for, but at least offensively in this game, it hinted at the idea that playing Cat and Rudy together at all is going to be something that feels like it hurts them more than it helps them uh, throughout the course of this series. And I just, I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they square that without, you know, shining the light even brighter on themselves that maybe this was, you know, the, the question of the whole season of, was this a good idea in the first place? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I wrote for Sunday's paper is that this is these four to seven games are going to be very telling and even more telling than maybe the 20 some that they played in the regular season as a, when it comes to whether or not this pairing can work because yeah. you are up against the team you're going to have to pass if you want if you have any western conference aspirations here will this work against this team specifically and last night was a resounding no so far um i think we should acknowledge that rudy said his back was not great yeah um so he is not playing a hundred percent um he says two days off will help him um and without travel yeah so you know, I think I think we should at least acknowledge that that Rudy is playing at less sure. than a hundred percent right now. Um, but I think what struck me from some of the the post game comments last night is this is the kind of stuff that we hear usually in the beginning of the season. Mm. This kind of stuff about spacing, this kind of stuff about trusting each other and making the simple plays, especially the trusting each other part. That's the kind of stuff we hear in October and November. It's a normal stuff to hear, and it's okay right, to hear it. Right, and it's okay to hear because you're still feeling out a new team. Got, you know, new pe- new players come in. Guys are kind of feeling how it is to play with each other for the first time. This shouldn't be happening in April. Right. Uh, and I know Cat was out for a long time, this and that, but trusting each other should already be happening by the time you're in mid-April. This kind of stuff should have should have should have already been accomplished um pick and roll you know it looked good at times very briefly um but as you point out and as we often discuss pick and roll and that sort of structure and almost methodical way that a pick and roll has to happen especially with rudy flies in the face of offensive flow and movement and quick pace um so it's like which one do you want um, and it might be a, it might be a, a case where this is a series where that's going to have to happen and that's going to have to be the main way they generate offense, especially if you're going to try to take advantage of, of Jokic, maybe not being the most defensively sound big man in the sure. league. Um, you got to try to involve him in some of these actions. And, and look, he got in foul trouble last night. He did not have a, a, a Nikola Jokic game last night. 
get him in foul trouble again. Try to get him involved in some of these actions and try to get him off the floor. Uh, I think I think it could serve two purposes. Um, Absolutely. In in terms of generating your offense and also maybe he picks up a couple cheap fouls. The the line I've kind of had over the the past month of the the importance of the playoffs, right? It was the idea Mm -hmm. of being able to learn in the playoffs, learn who you are, learn who you aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I think we saw that even in a loss to Memphis last season to be learning uh, in a mostly productive way, right? Uh, really valuable experience for Ant and Jaden. They learn just what playoff basketball is. Um, and then in a more like pragmatic standpoint, I think they learned that to be a playoff team, uh, to be successful in the playoffs, they were going to need to be bigger more physical, be able to write all those things, address the the rebounding right. issues that they had. And th- those were pretty productive learning things. They didn't seem too deadly, right? But mm-hmm. you can also learn, I mean, and, and this is outside of the Wolves, this is other playoff series, you know, uh, around the rest of the league. You can learn deadly things about your your team as well uh, in, in the playoffs. And again, only one game. And I I, I do think, there's there's valid points you alluded to, you know, the Rudy back part. They've had a hell of a week um, traveling to L.A., to Minneapolis, to Denver um, after a, a rough end, end of the a busy end of the regular season as well. But we're, we're talking about two or three more games like, that look any bit like this. And you are going you might learn that you have some issues that absolutely need to be functionally changed and we're not there yet like i i'm i'm not i'm not ready i'm not ready to go there yet but but when we talk about the value over the playoffs that's what it is it's learning period not all for the better it's learning for what needs to change uh going into the future and and obviously um that's that's going to shine uh, in particular on the two bigs who even when this game you know was in the balance they were the things that the elements of the game that felt like they were particularly letting them down. I mean, we got to talk about Carl here a little bit through the through the first three quarters. I mean, Finch left him in in the fourth quarter to get a little bit of a rhythm, and he sc- actually started scoring a, a, a few points there, which I thought was a good idea. But through three quarters, you know, Carl's two for 12 from the field, 0 for 6 from three, 0 for 2 from the free throw line with just four points. Um this isn't just a Rudy thing. It isn't just a Carl thing, but but Carl had a thing in that game, man, where it it looked like some of the issues we've seen from Carl in the past that that really concern you about what he can do in a playoff series uh, compared to what he can, you know, has done through eight years during during regular seasons. What what's your what's your concern level with with Carl um, going forward? given that, you know, he is coming off of five, six great games uh, right before this. Yeah, I think given that he was playing well, I'm not as concerned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I wonder, you know, does does everything kind of go away that happened before because we're in a playoff series now with Carl? And, yeah. you know, does it start to to get in his head a little bit? Um does he get overly emotional? I thought he did a, at least a decent job of keeping his emotions in check last sure. night. Like, I don't think he lost his composure at any point, despite the struggles that he was having. So that was a little bit of a change from 
last year in the Memphis series when it seemed like he was just an emotional roller coaster all series. Um, so I, I would say I have a medium level of concern. Yeah. Uh, with, with him, I just you know I wonder, I wonder now if he comes out in game two, and the shots not falling early, you know, does he become a little more tentative? Mm-hmm. Does he become less effective as a result, less aggressive? Um, you know, they need that version of Carl that was on the floor against Oklahoma City or or the three quarters of the Lakers game. Um, they're not going to win this series without it. Um, so they need him to come out, still be aggressive, still hunt for his shot, even at the risk of maybe forcing some things up a little bit. We listen any, anytime Carl takes a, a semi-open three-point shot, it's a good idea. Yes, I think by definition is a good shot. <laughs> so I have no problem when Carl is, is taking threes. Like that's that's fine. That's fine. Right. Um, you know, when it, when it's it's the other stuff and and kind of some of the the mid-range and, and post-ups that were just not working last night that we was kind of forcing that I had more of a, more of an issue with. Chris, we had to kind of uh, divide and conquer to during uh post-game media as it was a, a late game. And I, I was over with Kat um, and, and you were with Ant. So I, I, I don't have any audio clips from Ant, but, but you talked to him. Uh, what did he have to say about the, the offensive side of the ball? He was projecting confidence and very little concern, but mostly that they were just missing shots that they normally make. He didn't, you know, he didn't really go down the Mike Conley road of this went wrong or this went wrong. Um, Ant was just like, yeah, we just missed shots that we normally make. I would argue that uh, they were bad shots that they were taking as a result of bad offense. Yeah, Um, I would, I would push back a little bit on on that and I, I think if you're if you're going to get the same kind of shot quality in game two you're not you're not going to win game two um if you end up taking the same shots you took in game one so that was that was the gist of ant um as we know ant always kind of projects positivity and and good vibes as as much as possible and that's kind of what it was last night for him um you know, he also hopped on the listen. We played, we played a lot of games. They had a lot of rest, so it was only right they came out with a lot of energy. We'll get our energy. We'll be ready. That was his. That was one of his quotes last night. So, yeah, it's that was the end. It, it, it's. I mean, there's three chapters to the ant season this year, right? There's the the first twenty games of the year, um, where a lot of you know ant didn't play well, and. A lot of the narrative around that was, you know, uh, coming in uh, to this to training camp or to the regular season a little heavy. Not himself. I mean, he he said that himself, and I feel like we put a lot of the blame of the slow start on that with Ant, and then you know, in the middle, uh, kind of second and third quarters of the season, Ant is incredible, uh, and he makes this All Star push. And is is the reason, you know, right, that the, the Wolves are even in the playoffs right now. They winning as many games, staying at 500 uh, in that time. And then, you know, at the end of the season, he rolls the ankle. He has the illness. And there's, again, tertiary explanations for why he had a really, you know, poor close to the season or inefficient close to the season. Uh, but. You know, then it, it continues over into tonight, and and it makes me wonder if we've been pointing at those tertiary things 
When in reality, the issue with Ant's effectiveness is when he's playing on a team with two centers versus when he's not. Obviously, those first games of the season, Cat and Rudy are both healthy. The middle chunks of the year, Cat's out. And the end of the season, Cat and Rudy are back. Um, that's, as I've said all season, my biggest concern with the the Rudy addition and the the double bigs next to Ant thing is is the idea that Ant, your future superstar, has not signaled that that he fits in in this alignment and uh, to salvage this idea. If you're Tim Connolly and and company. I think it's critical to to see something productive from Ant within this roster construction. Uh, otherwise, again, that that's the practical thing I look at for uh, a reason a reason to potentially need to to change this roster so as to I don't know grease the wheels a little bit more. Do you agree with that? I I do. I I think he looks out of place and and like he's still trying to figure it out when he's on the floor with both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. I I asked him that last night and I said, you know, what offensively when you're on the floor with Carl and Rudy kind of what challenges are you, are you working through in those mm-hmm. in those minutes? And he's like, no challenges. We pretty much figured it out. We just missed shots we normally make tonight. It wasn't no struggle offensively. I feel like we just missed shots we normally make. That was his that was his answer to that. Um, you know, make of that what you will. But it it looks to me like he just isn't himself when when he's he's got to play by those two, and he yeah. turns more into himself when one of them is one of them is off the floor. I mean, it, it's probably a mix of both things, as everything always is. It's never it's never only one thing or the other. It was you know uh, not in great shape to start the season. It was injured and then sick at the end of the season too. So it's, it's somewhere in the gray there. Uh, we just, I don't think it's unfair, uh, also to point to the idea that the, the clogged lane obviously has an adverse impact on him as well. Let's, uh, let's grab our first break. Uh, we'll be back with Chris here in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by land and lore. And did you know that research shows looking tired negatively affects your ability to be successful? As if life wasn't hard enough, right? But a study in the Sleep Journal found that individuals who were perceived as tired were less approachable than others. So good luck getting that raise, that girl or guy or that prospect. You're trying to land if people don't want to be around you. Don't worry. Land and Lore has you covered. At Land and Lore, they created products designed to wake your face up. So if you spend all night watching reruns of Ant putting it on Gabe Vincent or Pat Bev dancing on the scorer's table, they got you covered. And as fans of the Timberwolves, they know life isn't full of highlights. So they have one for you. Use promo code 20 caveman at checkout on amazon.com to get 20% off their two best items, the face cleanser and moisturizer. That's 20 caveman for 20% off land and lore face cleanser and moisturizer when you purchase on Amazon. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. I've been telling you all season about Hyacinth with their amazing food and warm, inviting atmosphere. And with the sun starting to come out, this is the perfect time to check out Hyacinth. Hyacinth does partner with local farms and their chefs visit the Metro Farmers Markets four times a week as these markets open back up. So you know that no matter when you are eating at Hyacinth, you are having the freshest and most vibrant food Minnesota has to offer. St. Paul does have the reputation for being the sleepier of the two twin cities. And just like the Wolves are trying to change the narrative around their organization, Hyacinth wants your help to change the narrative about St. Paul. Hyacinth is also offering a $10 gift card for every reservation made after 8 p.m. So to receive your gift card, make a reservation 
on the website at hyacinthstpaul.com and you will receive the gift card on arrival. Limit one gift card per party and you must follow through with your reservation. So no show, no gift card. And then finally, Hyacinth is happy to announce the return of their sidewalk patio beginning Tuesday, May 16th. What started as a pandemic pivot has become a tradition at the restaurant. Reservations specifically for outdoor dining can also be made at their website, which is again, hyacinthstpaul.com. That's three more reasons to try out Hyacinth and St. Paul, a restaurant that has become a favorite of mine in the Twin Cities. All right, back with Chris Hine from the Star Tribune. Uh, Chris, let's pivot over to the the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think there's a a few major keys that we just kind of, again, really the only time we learned anything about really in this game, I thought somewhat productively was or relevant was the the first quarter. Um, yeah, one, Nikhil Alexander-Walker started. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and then two, in the initial matchups, they went with the the tactic of Rudy Gobert roaming and having the power forward guard uh, Nikola Jokic, which they had success with when they they did that during the regular season, though it was Kyle Anderson on Nikola Jokic. Uh, and in this game, it was obviously Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I, I do think uh, that in the first half, the deep the defense actually wasn't that bad, at least when they were you know back in in the half court. Uh, and the bigger issue to me, I thought with having Cat on Jokic is the idea that you know Cat, you're going to lose as everyone is, you're going to lose that matchup to Jokic um, far more often than you're going to win it. And I wonder what the mental toll of that is on Carl and how much that translated over to the other side of the floor. That to me is a reason to consider change uh, in terms of your defensive game plan or defensive alignment uh, as much as, as anything else is what, what stood out to you about that choice um, to, to guard Jokic in that sort of way when obviously Jokic is the head of the snake. That's where the whole defensive game plan starts. I think it's a good point. Um, but I also didn't think that they did a terrible job on him yeah. last night. Right. Um, I thought, you know, he didn't have one of his typical Jokic games. It was everything else that, that hurt them, the transition defense, which we'll get to in a, in a minute here. Um, but I thought initially, at least that that was, that was okay. Um, you know, in as long as Carl, if he can not let it bleed into his offense, I mean, stick with it until they, until they prove that, you know, they can beat it. Um, I do wonder if we're going to see a lineup change for game two. Um, if they're going to want to put Kyle Anderson back in the starting lineup, um, yeah. you know, and then at what, who, who's guarding Jamal Murray in that case, you put, do you put that on ants plate right off the bat? Yeah. Cause then you'd um, like, make, when make you put Carl on Murray, heavy MPJ, minutes? like, or something like that, you put, I, yeah. Cause I, you're going to start Cat and Rudy, I, I would assume. Like. Yeah. I would assume too, but I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be. Or maybe you, maybe you start TP for a little more mm-hmm. offensive burst, and he can also maybe guard Jamal Murray a little bit. Right. Maybe that's the move. Um, I think you, I think you got to start with a little more offense on the floor in game two. Um, but but just speaking about the defense, I, I didn't think the half court defense was all that bad last night, and. I think that's the one thing from that game they can maybe hang their hat on a little bit is that, okay, if we just get these guys, if they, if they don't hurt us in transition, we, we know we can defend them in the half court. 
that's kind of been the case for this team all season, true. right? Very true. Yeah, they've been like, a good defensive half-court team. They've been a good team. defensive yeah. half-court team for for the entire season. Whether Carl's on the floor, two bigs, or, or what. They've been okay mm-hmm. when they when teams get them in the half-court and they can end possessions by getting the rebound. Yep. Um, teams do not score officially against them in the half court. So that is the challenge for them into game two is get back in transition, make it a half court game. Um, cause if it's not going to be a half court game, then you're, then you're going to lose. I, I asked, uh, I asked Finch about the, the defense that the defensive game plan. And then also how, as you alluded to transition defense was, was the bigger issue, um, overall defensively for this team. So here's Finch. In the first half, the, the defense was was strong. Do you do you hold on to the faith in that defensively with Carl on Jokic and, and what you did defensively, or or kind of reflect on the overall result? Yeah, I mean we're going to look at it all. Um, we have, if, I think that worked for a little bit, then we changed it up. So you know, I don't think uh, you know I don't think we're married to any one thing right now. So we're we're going to look at it and make adjustments. Transition defense, the the bigger issue. Felt. Yeah, well, when you turn it over like the way we did, you know, transition is always big with these guys, particularly with the way that Jokic, uh, you know, can stretch the floor with his passing. Um, but you know, turnovers obviously got him going there in the third. So, yeah, Chris, right? The, it was the transition side of the floor uh, more than any, or transition element of, of defense more than anything. We. We've seen in playing Denver this season, that's when they break games open is they just have a quarter like they did in the third quarter where they where they get out and run you. Um, it often starts with turnovers. That's why in the first half, uh, it wasn't transition defense wasn't as hurtful. Uh, the Wolves only had two first half turnovers, uh, I believe. But then once they kind of see blood in the water, right, in terms of transition, mm-hmm. this Nuggets team just runs and runs. And I, I don't know if the Wolves have the personnel, like, I don't know if it's, I don't even know if it's something they have the capability to execute and slow down because it wasn't just off of turnovers that they got cooked in transition defense. Denver, once they get a couple of those off of turnovers running, they're like, Oh, we can run. And then it's a missed shot by the Wolves, grab it and push. That was, that was the more concerning part to me about transition defense was, was they were like, we're just going to do it every possession. We're going to make you sprint back every single defensive possession because we know that the Timberwolves are decent to good uh, once they get a, a set defense in the half court. I mean, is this is transition defense salvageable if and when they have two centers on the floor? That's been the question all season, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's what they that's what they've grappled with. All, all season when these two guys have been on the floor together. And the answer has been no. For The, the answer has been no. Yeah. yeah. And if Denver is going, to, again, we talk about what a playoff series will expose and not expose. Denver might expose the fact that just you're not going to be able to play transition defense with these two guys on the floor together. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. We'll see what adjustments they make in game two. Rudy trying to lumber down the court with a bad back is yeah. a terrible recipe for this. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, and they were doing it after, like you said, they were doing it after misses, they were doing it after makes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that Ant said was he was surprised at how well Jokic moves down the floor. That was something that came hmm. out of his, his quotes last night. So I think it, it even took him by surprise a little bit, just wow. how effective they can be in transition and, and the part that Jokic plays in that as well with his 
seemingly surprising speed, according to Ant, <laughs> and just ability to throw those, you know, those great passes that just set everything up. So number one on the on the on the bullet points for for game two has to be transition defense. I think even even more than the offense in some ways, because you know, I, I think when when Denver didn't get out in transition, it was it was a game. Right. And then when they did, it was over. I, I, I didn't look these up um, before the series, but I did this morning. Um, overall, Denver was number three uh, in transition offense on, on the season uh, and ninth in transition offense frequency. So this is what they do. Uh, and and Clinton and Glass also splits for uh, off of live rebounds, off of a miss and running. Uh, they're also third most effective at, at doing that during the regular season as well. So I just say that to mean this isn't going to go away. Uh, they do it against everyone. They don't do that just against two bigs. But if you don't recognize that's what they are going to do, then they are going to hurt you. And and that's that that's the frustration, I would imagine, for Wolves fans watching this, as we've seen in the 25-plus games that Kat and Rudy have played together, is not only the idea that Obviously, you can be hurt with that, given just the slower feet, but that it doesn't the intention to get back is is not there. I mean, maybe it's not every single time in transition, but there's those plays where it's one of Cat or Rudy who are the 10th person down to the other side of the floor. That just that's just an eyesore, right? Because it's a you know this, right? Um, You just need to sprint. You just need to sprint and it needs to be every single time. And it right now is is not every single time. Again, with Rudy's back, maybe that's some of an explanation there, but it it happens, it happens with Carl as well. So I, I think they're probably going to consistently get hurt by this. And and the best, the only counter they're really going to have is to shoot the shit out of it and you know, make as many shots as they can because it's a lot harder to play transition offense when you're taking the ball out of the basket. It just, the the best thing Cat and Rudy can do is, you know, Cat shoot 13 of 17 from the field and Rudy shoot 8 of 10, right? When that's the best yeah. thing they can do for the transition defense is not miss shots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think that is really their, I think that's this roster construction's only counter they have for one of Denver's biggest weapons. They, you know, I don't know if you have the Rudy clip uh, I do. queued up. You do. Um, yeah, should I just play that right he now? He talks about that. Yeah, just play that, and then I'll make my point. Go okay. ahead. Rudy, you mentioned the, the transition defense. They, they got points off turnovers, but it also seemed like they were really intentional about running uh, yeah. off of makes. How do, you, how do you kind of square that? What, what, what's the key there? Just, to, just turn and run. We don't have time to uh look at each other we don't have time to look at the officials we don't have time to uh wonder who we guarding we just got a sprint and then we can talk but we get a sprint turn sprint and then we and then we talk if we do that if we put our our individually and collectively like, emphasis on that i think we um you know we take away a lot of the easy things that they, they have and i think they really feel on that heard that quote before uh during the season, Chris, but uh, what, what's, yeah. what, what's your take off of that? My take is we've heard them talk a lot in recent weeks about 
needing to lean into being a big team. And part of that is, look, we should be able, we should be able to crash the offensive glass with some with some effect. Um, I wonder heading into game two what that trade-off is going to be. If if in game two, the moment a shot goes up, they they just give up the second chance opportunity and just try to get back. Hmm. Or do you just lean into it even more? Because yeah. one way to limit transition is getting an offensive rebound and trying to put up another shot. Um, so I think one of the things that I'll be asking them about when they practice tomorrow is what's that trade-off going to be? Are you just going to get back now and, and focus on just limiting their transition at all costs? Or are you just going to double down and try to get more offensive rebounds, try to limit them that way? So I, I think that's an interesting decision they're going to have to make ahead of game two. Um, not sure which way I would go. I right. think I think I would lean towards get back <laughs> and, and figure it out from there. Um, because you can't let what happened in the third quarter happen again. Yeah, no, but it, I, I think you can make arguments for either side of it in one. I mean, the, the offensive rebounding one is the bolder one in, mm -hmm. in that if you don't get it, you're going to get cooked. But if the hypothesis is correct, that this team just given the roster cannot consistently get back on defense and you're going to get hurt in transition one way or the other, um, then you try and trade one of the least effective ways to play defense, which is in transition, for one of the most effective ways to play offense, which is with offensive rebounds. Um, there, there's an argument to be made for that. Yeah, I just think it'd be, it'd be bold. <laughs> it would it would be bold because <laughs> it's like, okay, we got cooked in transition. What we're gonna do now is send more guys to the offensive glass. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I'm I'm with you. Also, uh, this this isn't defense, but. The Wolves got to get out and transition themselves some, too. They do. They, do. Uh, they had yeah. six steals in the game and zero points off those steals, uh, I saw. You know, that that's an ant thing, too, right? That's how you get ant going. Um, and mm -hmm. and that is a that all ties into it, right? If, if ants going in transition, you're making more shots, you're shooting a higher percentage. That's a lower frequency with which Denver can get out and run you uh, the other direction. So I'd be just as intentional about that as you know as i would anything else yeah a hundred percent he got out he got out a little early in the game mm -hmm. a couple of times and, and it looked pretty good um they have they have to especially if you're if you're able to make it a half court game and get some of these turnovers you got to go it seems like they're they're just unwilling to attack i, I don't know what it, i don't know what it was uh, off the steals they just it yeah. was like okay we're gonna slow it down now and we're gonna I, I gotta like was... look at it back. Uh, just all the, like the I, I, ant in general. Yeah. What was the was the lane extremely clogged for him? Like were they super intentional about loading up? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I or or what or did was ant just hesitant? Um, I know in the half court he just wasn't using Rudy's screens. I have like two or three just off the top yeah. of my head where Rudy's setting the screen for him to go left and ant just goes right and rejects the screen. Um, I, I don't know. What did that push him into more defenders or? than than a screen would have maybe uh but i mean he's just got to be an elixir here he it's it, ant ant needs to be memphis ant uh otherwise we're gonna have two or three more games like this yeah i, I wonder i wonder what the what the priority is going into game two do you do you, you know because we've seen before with finch 
whoever is kind of struggling offensively, that's who he designs the, the early mm. actions for. Good call. And I wonder, I wonder going into game two, who's that going to be? Is that going to be for Ant early? Or is that going to be for Carl, Cat yeah. early? I bet um, it's Cat. You bet it's Cat? Yeah, just given that that's kind of what they did when Cat was awesome the the past two yeah. weeks, right? Yeah. You know, the Lakers game, right? Lakers game comes to my, my head and that was that was the intention. Thunder game too, um, you know, kind of for different reasons. The Thunder game was because Carl was just bigger than everybody. Um, it's got to be both. They're, they're, you know, you don't got to pick, right? <laughs> like you, you should be right. able to to do both to to get them both going. Mm-hmm. They're 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 that they're that offensively that offensively talented. Chris, let's uh let's grab another break um, because I want to I want to talk about the we we had media availability with with Tim Connolly uh, before the game on on Sunday afternoon, in which he talked about you, you wrote about it an array of different things. But in particular, he he talked about the Townsend Gobert pairing and how that has been, you know, less than ideal and had had some highs, but uh, more low. So we'll grab a break. We'll be back with Chris. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Conley's comments from Sunday afternoon. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I feel like I'm stressed every time I'm wanting to buy tickets to a Twins game or a concert in town, and I'm stressed because. I don't know if I'm getting a good deal or not. And with the Game Time app, I feel confident, even if it's last minute, that I've purchased my tickets at a fair rate. And that's because of their best price guarantee. So if you're looking for tickets to one of these final Wolves home games, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're good. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails. So snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Alrighty, we are back with uh, Chris Hine from the Star Tribune for for one final segment here. Um, we we had the chance to to talk to Tim Conley, as I said on on Sunday afternoon, and uh, I asked I asked him about the the cat and Gobert pairing, and also a little Luca Garza anecdote here uh, at the end. Let's just let's just start by by playing that clip, and then then we'll get into Conley's overall comments. Seen the. the- Towns Gobert pairing evolved from those first 20 games of the season to what we've seen for the past few weeks. I thought it was super clunky initially, and it wasn't even unique to them. I thought, you know, we had a clunky start to the season period, and it's a little bit to expect with so many new faces. Um, I thought prior to Nas's injury, I thought that's probably the best we looked. Um, we had a really successful West Coast road trip, and I thought um, kind of the, the the big identity to start to kind of look like it potentially could be something that could be impactful. Um, it's been hard. Well, the injuries, um, you know, we, we lost two really good guys over there with a broken hand and a broken wrist. Um, uh, it's really cool to see Cat come back from such a severe injury. It was a, a really rough one, and there was times during the season where we weren't certain he was going to come back, and I think he looks like himself right now. Um, I thought Rudy was fantastic the other night with his ability just to control the paint, um, and I think he has really good chemistry with um, with Mike, with Kyle in particular. Those two guys seem to really understand him. So. Um, yeah, I think it's been um, it's been good, and you know, hopefully it continues tonight against um, you know, a heck of a front line. I mean, not just Nicola, but Aaron should be an all star. You know, he was amazing this year, so it'll be you're seeing four of the best bigs in the league tonight. When Nas went down, was it a difficult decision to not uh, give Luca a, a contract that allowed him to play in the playoffs? Yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to um, you know, anytime you have injuries, especially when it was that late in the season, it was it was difficult to figure out. You know, which pivot, you talk with the coaching staff, hey, what rotations might look like, are you might more likely to use this or that? Uh, I mean, Luke is going to spend a long, long time in the NBA and hopefully in one of our jerseys, but um, all those decisions are hard. So that was a conversation you have with Finch? Sure, right? yeah. Yeah, everything is, everything is collaborative. I, you know, I think Finch is ultimately the leader, and um, at this time of year, you know, you're trying to figure out what gives you the best chance in the postseason. So, Chris, uh Related to that first part um, and and the big identity, I, I think we would both agree the the time it looked best was before Nas went down after that West Coast road trip. Um, yep. Is how different would this be? I guess in this identity working specifically in this series, if they if they had Nas, do you think that would make a significant difference? Because I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know that last night would have made much of a difference. Um, I think they'd be better set up to capitalize on denver's bench which is not yeah. one of denver's strong suits that's a good point I, I think i think the bench matchup would favor the timberwolves uh decidedly i feel like if Nas and Jaden <laughs> were out there right um Nas can at least get up and down the floor he can he can be effective in transition offense um so i i just think that those those non-jokic minutes uh, you know, you, I don't think you want Nas guarding Jokic, but if you if you deploy Nas in those minutes that Jokic is off the floor, and for a little bit of the time when he's on the floor, I think I think you'd be just fine. Mm-hmm. Probably at an advantage in those minutes. So you know, losing Nas is impactful uh, in this series, and now you're trying to kind of spread it out between Carl and Rudy. Um, you know, maybe it allows you to play Carl and Rudy separate from each other more often. Yeah, which is probably the way to go in this series. Um, but yeah, I can't help but think that Nas would just help the bench minutes and help the rotation out by 
giving them an eighth reliable guy right now that they can play because Finch obviously doesn't have an eighth player right now that he trusts. It's going to be, you know, we're going to need to kind of take the whole series to figure this out, but it's going to be interesting to think about how, you know, how reasonable of an excuse it is that for if they lose the series or if it looks bad, um, that that Nas and Jaden were out. We we know obviously it's a fact that they would help, right? For all the reasons mm-hmm. you just you just listed, I just have this uh, kind of overarching. I don't know if it's a concern or just expectation that a lot of uh, whether you know exit interviews whenever the season is over, or just a lot of the messaging in the off season is going to be you know really focused on excuses. And and it's not yeah. that they don't have unreasonable excuses to make from, you know, going back to even training camp and then obviously Carl missing and now these injuries. Uh, but I just think it's important that that, you know, that those aren't the sunglasses you put on in a dark room. You know, like there are the main thing is the double big part of Cat and Rudy is wonky, particularly as it connects to Anthony Edwards and, and, you know, and Conley alluded to that there and, and he did kind of in a couple other answers when, when we were talking as well, but I think it, I think it's going to be tough for probably a lot of Wolves fans to hear uh, excuses at what, once this season is over, because the main things are still the main things and they're, they're very disconcerting. I think, you go into a playoff series, you don't have Nasri and Jaden McDaniels, but you still have Mike Conley, you still have Carl Anthony Towns, you still have Rudy Gobert, you still have Anthony Edwards. Yeah. That's four guys and Kyle Anderson, you know, as your kind of fifth, even though he didn't start, your fifth kind of starter. Yeah, but, but that, that's five that's, good starters. That's five good good players who are going to be playing 30 plus minutes a night for you. Um, so I I'm not necessarily buying that they can't play well or win the series because Nas and Jaden are, are not on the floor. Right. Um, Connolly's comments, I think, struck me and have all, always kind of struck me throughout the course of the season for just the larger bird's eye view that he seems to have of this team compared to what fans think. And I think no, t- no comment was more telling than the, we have a long way to go before we're at where this team is. Mm-hmm. referring to Denver. Um, that was very illuminating to me because I think I think fans see this trade happen last summer and as they should expect instant like instant results. Mm-hmm. When you give up that much draft capital, I would too. Um, but I think it's fascinating to hear that 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 they still have a ways to go before they are, you know, at the level of a Western conference contender. Um, I, you know, I I don't know that that's what fans want to hear, but it's how the organization is kind of viewing this. I think it reveals the mindset that this is a process for them, that they are in this for the long haul to see it through whether it works or not. They're not just going to hit the eject button, mm-hmm. you know, maybe after this season, right? Yeah. That th- there's going to be another year of this, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, I think. Um, there's going to likely be at least another year of this. And then when we get to those financial 
uh, hurdles that we've talked about on previous podcasts that come in after next season, maybe then that's when something gives. But I think his comments yesterday just kind of reiterated the fact that at least from the front office's point of view, this is still very much a process that is ongoing. This, this double big experiment. It It's yeah, it, it is. It is the plan. And I, I think given how deeply you, they have sunk their teeth into the, the double big move, you know, not having, you know, looking at it where you are rather than being like, Oh, going back in a time sheet, time machine and doing it over again. Like, the time machine doesn't exist, right? So I, I even am of the mind that, you know, this is the reality of the situation now and something close to running it back is probably the most pragmatic, you know, response to, to be able to, to go forward. But even within that, there are the marginal changes that, that you do make. And those are, you know, trades on the margins, who you're going to sign, what, what type of player, and, and then also really being able to, to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, did we did we over try and force this this double big thing and playing Cat and Rudy together too much? Did we try and feed Rudy too much as a as a real offensive threat? All all of those sort of things, like make the excuses, keep the vision what it is, but let's also hold ourselves accountable for what didn't work this season because odds are, even if and when things get better down the line, those things are still going to be to be problematic. All, all they can really do in terms of the assets and stuff that they have is make adjustments on the margins. And I just think the expectation from the fan base is can and should be that they better nail those. They, they better nail those things. And, and those can, that can uh, connect to coaching. I don't mean that in terms of a, a firing of Finch, but it, it, it might just be that you take the off season and you say, we need to have a, a completely different, view and look at you know structure versus randomness uh in terms in terms of the offense if nothing else and if this series goes the way that it's aiming i think they have to have some hard conversations about those smaller tweaks that feel necessary to happen even if you are keeping the proverbial you know powder dry in terms of the the overarching you know big picture and in the long view of what this of what this experiment is, right? I mean, it's, it's, you can't mess up anymore. You can't really mess up anything else. You got to continue to nail the small things as they did at the deadline in the D'Angelo trade, you know, credit there. It's even something as small, like the Luca Garza thing is like a really small example of that. Like, I think you win the Lakers game, right? That is like the smallest yeah. one of that. But I think that's a fumbled marginal error um, right there. Like I just, Conley, the front office and Finch, Th- those are the areas that they they need to be pretty close to perfect going forward. That's going to be one of the things I asked about. You kind of touched on it is is the offense and like just what is the what is the overarching philosophy mm-hmm. that you are going that you need on offense going forward here for this to function properly. Can you play the Finchian open style, free flowing style, or? Not to say Finch can't coach this because I think he's proven he can be very adaptable at what, especially on the defensive end, at kind of installing what teams need. Um, but do you need more of that structure? Do you need a more structured offense? Um, I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions they have to answer 
mm-hmm. in the off season when, when they have some of these conversations and drill down and say, okay, what what did this look like when we were functioning best? And how do we do, how do we get more of that? And, mm-hmm. and what does that look like exactly? So I'm, that to me is, is number, question number one on the off season. 100%. Um, mm-hmm. Just briefly, last thing, you know, looking forward, uh, as much as the identity surrounding the double bigs has been uh, a very big question uh, with this team this season, part of their identity uh, to, you know, in a positive manner has been their ability to, as Kat said yesterday, flush down a bad game um, and and move forward. I I wouldn't be shocked if they are able to do that because, again, that's a repeatable behavior we've seen throughout the course of the season is bad loss and actually be able to bounce back and and not have that, you know, not have that really stick. I think it's probably going to be a, like I feel actually pretty confident in the Wolves if they were going home for this next game. Uh, but it is going to be in Denver again uh, in, in that atmosphere. But do you think that is a pattern we we continue to to see in, in game two on Wednesday is the Wolves' ability to kind of forget <laughs> the idea that they stunk the, the last time they played? <laughs> I... I do have. I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, "They are. This is their going to be their best punch in game two. Gotta I just be. have that feeling. It's it's got to be. First of all, it's got to be their best punch. Um, and I do think that they have the ability to to really ramp up and and give the needed effort for for this game, just based on their track record. If they don't win, I think we're looking at a sweep. Um, because I do think that these two days. They're going to put so much into into this effort for game two. I feel like this is this is where they're pouring a lot of their emotion for this series. I just kind of that's just kind of my feeling on it. Um, so if they win game two, we have a series. If they don't, I think we're looking at a at a sweep. So yeah, I I I don't think it's going to happen, and I'll explain why. Like I, it's not that they don't have that in their DNA, the about ability yeah. to bounce back, but. I don't remember the specific opponents, but, you know, after some of those bad Detroit losses or whatever, they do come back and, you know, win handily the the next game. Uh, the, the difference I see here is the opponent, right? Um, right. You are playing one of the best teams in, in the NBA. So even if you do throw your best punch, uh, they their counterpunch might also be very strong. Like, I think, and like I said, the, the factor of it still being in Denver I think that packs a little bit more of a punch. That, that counter punch packs more of a punch from the Nuggets' perspective. So maybe it's closer, but uh, it's Denver's a hell of a team, and and I think I, I I will I'll put it like this: I will be impressed if they if they are able to to do what they did during the regular season and and flush it down, refocus, play well, um, because I I think Denver smells blood in the water. Smells blood in the water, sees blood in the water. <laughs> Obviously, that. Um, I guess you could do both. You could, yeah. <laughs> I probably could taste it. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I just think that that's a big factor here. I, I think, I think Denver is going to have another one of those blitz you early with some transition stuff, and that it'll be at that moment when Denver goes on a ten to two run in like the second quarter, and Finch calls a timeout, and what happens following that. That will that will determine it, and I think that will determine the rest of the series. Because I, I agree with you. If you do, if you do lose this one again, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to kind of re ramp up.
for going back to, to Minnesota. Though, the counterpoint is if they are able to, you know, withstand Denver in this game, make a bunch of shots, forget all the things that they couldn't do um, on Sunday night, then you're 1-1 and you are going back to Minnesota. And we go, man, this team has been so weird all year. They do this. They do this all the time. And the momentum has shifted again. And we're we're back to Minnesota. So uh, I would, you know, that'd be my preference. I think that'd be a, a more fun uh, series to cover. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the likelihood of that happening, given the fact that it's the the Denver Nuggets, just one of the yeah, one of the best I, teams I th- in the NBA. I, I think the Wolves are going to come out with a much better effort. That doesn't mean they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's my point. Is yeah. is I think the Wolves are going to give uh, a, an all out effort in Game Two. Whether or not they win the game is a different story. Yes, because I think Denver still has some things that they can do better, mm-hmm. um, especially as it relates to their half court offense. Um, so. We'll see if they're able to ramp up to it to another level, kind of look more like themselves. Jokic ramps up to another level, and yeah, the Wolves could play better, but still lose by ten to fifteen points. You know, so we'll see. We'll this see is what the playoffs are all about. <laughs> I think that's a good a good place to to close mm-hmm. it. Uh, Chris, appreciate you getting up early to do this. Somehow your Wi-Fi hotspot held up for the, the internet. Of... We'll see how much data I've used. <laughs> uh, how yeah. much I still have on the, on the hotspot budget here. Uh, yeah. It, uh, I, I think it worked. I think it worked. So, um, I think so yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do check I'll, out. I'll just charge, I'll just charge it to Dane Moore enterprise. Yeah. There you go. For. <laughs> um, Go check out the Star Tribune Enterprise uh, for uh, Chris's story. If you want more on the, I think the Tim Conley. If you, I understand if you don't want no offense, Chris. If you don't want, if you guys, if you don't want to think about the the yeah, gamer, right, right? the the re- recapping of that game, I think Chris would even say that's that's reasonable. But uh, yeah. it was the the, t- the Tim Conley piece uh, is is definitely uh, <laughs> worth checking out there for sure. And there was he had you know he talked for for a while. He had a handful of uh, additional comments. Uh, in addition to, to the the clip that we played there, so uh, follow Chris's work. He's I know he's he's working hard here uh, throughout the throughout the playoffs over at the Star Tribune. You follow him on Twitter uh, at Christopher Hine. Um, I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA, and we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll keep figuring out this uh, this pod schedule uh, by the day. But I got all the all the reporters out here, and we'll we'll keep doing uh, pods throughout the series. Um, uh, for Chris, I'm Dane. Till next time. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah, yeah. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around A watch she can wear every day for movement Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers Movement has something she'll love And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.